Welcome in everyone to another live edition of 410 Sports Talk. I'm Glenn Martin, riding solo tonight as Jimmy is on vacation. So I, I hope uh, everything's going well. Hope he's enjoying himself, staying safe out there. And I hope it's not as uh, smoggy uh, wherever he may be as it is in Baltimore. As uh, Man, we're dealing with some pretty wild weather stemming down from uh, the Canadian wildfires. But that's not going to stop us from talking some Ravens football and some Orioles baseball tonight. And of course, I didn't want to do this show all by myself. You know, it's uh, it's always more fun to have someone do it with you. So uh, very thankful uh, to to announce uh, our guest and our uh, my guest co-host for the evening, stepping in for Jimbo uh, tonight, is going to be 105.7 The Own, Cordell Woodland. Appreciate you coming out, Cordell. How you doing tonight? What's going on, man? Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So you guys can catch Cordell uh, typical nights, uh, six to nine, shake it up sports on 105.7. The fan, of course, that's when uh, I guess they don't have, is, is it, is it Baltimore baseball tonight and you, or is it one or the other? No, nah, it'll, it'll be both. So it'll usually both. Gotcha. It's, assuming the Orioles play at seven, it'll be Baltimore baseball tonight from six to seven. And then me seven to nine. If the Orioles don't play, then I'm on six to nine. Gotcha. Gotcha. So appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's pretty tough to find anyone who's more tuned into both teams in Baltimore than Cordell. So uh, very appreciative to have you out here and excited to be with you guys. What's going on, Brandon? Appreciate you coming up or uh, coming out. Yeah, I know uh, up in Jersey, you guys got to be getting hit hard with that uh, that craziness, uh, the weather. And what's going on, Chef? I believe that was a uh, gentleman who came out and visited with us at our last live. So Cordell, I got to ask you, starting with the Ravens OTAs and I'll be honest, man. When I saw the news and I heard the statement from John Harbaugh that Zay Flowers had a soft tissue injury, I'll be honest, and maybe I'm overreacting, but look, I'm just a fan, Cordell. I start thinking, Rashad Perryman, it started with a day-to-day knee injury. And then, oh, man, we got Marquise Brown who came in. He, in, Well, to his credit, ultimately suited up for most of the games, mm-hmm. had a tough time getting on the practice field throughout uh, training camp and really throughout the season. And then, of course, Rashad Bateman has no injury concerns in college, comes to the Ravens, has injury concerns, uh, and, and, of course, has missed multiple games the last two years. So talk me off a ledge here, Cordell. I mean, is there anything more that I should be worried about, or is this, in fact, a day-to-day injury to Zay Flowers and you know something I'll forget about in a week? Yeah, I mean, I will say I think your concerns are warranted based off of history. I mean, you, you got to, and everybody – you know, is is very sensitive when it comes to these first round picks. When you hear about injuries in in June before they're even really doing anything serious out there, and you start hearing about injuries, that's never a good thing. Um, and obviously, you, you talk about the the Ravens' history with their training staff and the way that injuries have derailed their season. I would make the argument with the last two seasons, uh, really injuries have, have kind of messed their season up. So. I think it's warranted right now in terms of Zay. I'm I'm going to save the panic a little bit right now. I did uh, – he wasn't out there on the field on the other day for OTAs. It was the only OTAs he wasn't on the field for. I did see him in the weight room. He popped his head out to look out on the practice and uh, saw him in there doing some workouts a little bit. So he seemed like he's in good spirits. I'm going to take John Harbaugh for his word for now. Uh, he doesn't seem overly concerned about it, but he never does when it's initial. Um, and that's the one thing with Harbs, man. And I and people try to say Harbs 
lies about the injuries. And I've had to say, I, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily lying about injuries. I think he's more so kind of going in there trying to go with the most optimistic timeline that he's been given. So if they tell Harbs one to three weeks, Harbs is going to go with one to two weeks. And really that's the way it is around sports. The, the Orioles do it too. I mean, they, you know, it's kind of that thing where if they tell you it's going to be two weeks, you might as well double it and look forward to it being a month. So uh, that's the one thing we got to see here with Zay. Harb said he expects him to be back out there next week for mini camp. We'll see if that's the case, and we'll see how much he is actually able to do. Uh, but for right now, I'm I'm not too concerned. And are you of the mindset of let's let's take this extremely cautiously? Like did, like no reason for him to be doing anything that could aggravate or lead to him losing time. Uh, in the most important time of the, you know, this summer is training camp. No doubt about it. I mean, you talk about a soft tissue injury, and he wasn't Hobbs wasn't specific in terms of what exactly it was, but let's assume it's like a hamstring or something like that. You know, that those things flare up, man. And you you have to be careful not only about coming back too early, but also about uh, just even in the rehab process and not overdoing it in your rehab because we see a lot of people have setbacks when they're dealing with these with these uh, hamstring injuries. So I think that they know, you know, how the injuries have impacted them the last few years. They understand how important Zay Flowers is going to be for them this year. So I, I think that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that this doesn't turn out to be, to go from something small into something major. Harms and those guys last year, especially coming off that, uh, what, 2021 season, I guess it was, the way that injuries really ravaged the team as a whole. Um, last year, their big thing was, you know, not overdoing it. We didn't see any starters in the preseason. I don't know if we'll see any starters in the preseason this year. They they really made an effort to to do as much as they could to avoid the injury bug and look it's the NFL it's inevitable it's going to happen but this time of year you have a little more control since you're not playing games on an every week basis right now so I, I do think they're going to you know treat them with kid gloves and not going to push them to do anything that they feel like is going to overextend him until they absolutely have to yeah yeah I, I couldn't agree more shout out to Don C what's going on Lisa Adam uh, Ravens win 16. Appreciate, appreciate you guys coming out as we uh, continue here with Cordell Woodland from 105.7 The Fan. Uh, you know, on a more positive note, certainly in the same in the same room, the receiver room, I, I remember, I think it was last week when, when a lot of people were asked about the receiving core. You know, some people made it pr pretty clear that it was kind of Bateman, Zay Flowers, then a pretty decent gap until you got to guys like uh, – Nelson Aguilar and 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 uh, James Prochet and and all those guys, but then I hear more recently, uh, I think it was yesterday that Nelson Aguilar had he his best day of camp. You know, was making catch after catch, uh, highlight plays out on the practice field, and that's in the absence of Zay Flowers due to the injury and Bateman uh, who wasn't there, and and neither and OBJ still hasn't shown up. So when when you uh, when you look at this receiving core as a whole. How much do you think a guy like Nelson Aguilar might be kind of getting overlooked because those top three guys are garnering so much attention? And when when you kind of try and predict the, the production, how much do you think it will be like, who do you favor in the, the production battle when it comes to a guy like Duvernay versus Nelson in strictly an offensive standpoint, not, not counting special teams? 
Yeah, I mean, well, in terms of Nelson and the day that he had yesterday, um, he did, you know, he had his best day of OTAs, no doubt. Uh, And it's weird because they're going at like 70% speed out there. So um, I'm, I'm very cautious with how much I buy into what I'm seeing right now, good or bad, to be honest with you, that they're not in pads. Um, they're, they're barely scratching the surface in terms of what this offense is going to be able to do right now. So I'm taking everything with a grain of salt, but I will give Aguilar credit. He, he you know, he was wide receiver one yesterday. He, he did look good. And um, this is a guy that's been in the league for a while. He has made plays down the field. He struggles with consistency. Nelson Aguilar will have those games to where he may have three catches for a buck 10 uh, because, you know, he he had two huge plays, maybe a touchdown in there as well. But then that next week, you may not hear from him anymore. So um, right now I have him kind of just in the, in my mind, kind of penciled in as maybe that wide receiver four at worst wide receiver five, depending on he and Duvernay, like you mentioned. And, you know, in terms of those two guys, look, I think that's going to be one of the uh, big battles this year in camp. Who's going to be the wide receiver four on this team? They know who their top three guys are going to be. But, you know, is and what I think is Devin Duvernay can do things that Nelson Aguilar uh, may not be able to do in terms of, you know, some uh, reverses or the just being able to get Duvernay the ball in a variety of different ways that you don't normally get the ball to a receiver. Aguilar isn't necessarily the gadget guy, so to speak. That that can be where Duvernay makes his living at. But Duvernay is a guy that's, you know, he you can make the argument he he was their best contested catch wide receiver uh, mm-hmm. last year. So I, I think that there's definitely a role for both of these guys. I think both of them will see time on the field. Um, um, in terms of who sees the most, I honestly think that'll just kind of be how they're feeling, you know, how the coaches are feeling that week. Who do they feel like can uh, best execute their game plan for that week? Because I think both guys can help and both guys have their own unique skill sets. Yeah, I think Nelson Aguilar could be a sneaky big time pickup for the Ravens in the sense that I think he's got a big play threat kind of written all over him and with mm-hmm. the attention you know, elsewhere on the field with Mark Andrews, plus all those new threats in the wideout uh, position. I I think he's got a chance to not have a big volume of catches, but I think he definitely could sneak up on people with yards and and touchdowns if he can hit that big play. Um, Also, in the same same room, as we kind of finish talking about the wideouts, the Ravens add Laquan Treadwell, who was a former first-round pick out of Ole Miss, uh, quite a few years back now. And the funny thing is, I remember when he came out, I was, I thought this guy was going to be a monster. I remember watching him in college. He just, I mean, he just would moss everyone. I mean, the ball mm-hmm. was in the area. He's going and getting it. What, what we're, I guess, kind of finding out as he became a pro is that, you know, separation is certainly important and it's not as easy to go up and get those 50 50 balls against NFL quality corners as it was, you know, going up against a college corner. But nonetheless, another first round pick added to the room. And my, and my question is, with an already crowded room, because the way I look at it, unless there's an injury, I mean, you got Bateman, you got Odell, you got Zay Flowers, you got Aguilar, and you got Duvernay. That's five. They typically never keep more than six. Mm-hmm. So that's already a pretty crowded room uh, with guys, you know, with guys competing for that final spot. Now you add another, you know, first round pick to this conversation. 
I mean, is this just a, a camp body? Do you think he Laquan has an actual shot at making the team? And then selfishly, what does this do for a guy like Dante Demas, you know, the Terp, who I was hoping had a real shot? This certainly complicates things for him getting into, into that last spot. Yeah, it does. Um, and, look, I, I don't think Treadwell is brought to Baltimore just for a camp body. I, I think that they're bringing him in to compete to make this team. I do. Um uh, he hasn't necessarily had the career that he'd like to have. And I agree, he was a stud at Ole Miss. Ole Miss knows how to how to breed these wide receivers, man. You know, they uh they have had some some monsters come out of Ole Miss the last mm-hmm. few years at the wide receiver position. And Laquan Treadwell, his best days were obviously in college. But look, he's on his fourth team now in four years. I mean, the expectation shouldn't be but so high for him, honestly. Uh, but Harb seems to like him so far. And look, he's not going to say a bad word about anybody right now, especially this time of year. Um, but I, I do think that he can compete. And I think that's the one thing. I think that's what it's about right now for these wide receivers, competition. I think they want to continue to add bodies to this wide receiver room. Now, I don't know if they're going to add any more receivers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I mean, you can only have so many, even, even for camp in preseason. My God, how many wide receivers do you need? But – I do think that they wanted to get to the point to where they're pushing these guys, the Prochets, the Tylen Wallaces, even the Devin Duvernays. Give them some sort of competition because for the last few years, there's been no competition. If you're a wide receiver for the Ravens, especially if they drafted you, you knew you were going to make the team. And now that's, you know, that's put into question. In terms of Demas, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't help Demas's case. Uh, because this, you know, Adam Treadwell is at least another guy who has been in the league for a while. He, he had, you know, he's whether or not he's lived up to his expectations coming out of the draft is one thing, but he has found a way to stick around in the NFL. And uh, Demons, he wasn't out there yesterday. I don't know why he wasn't out there yesterday, but he wasn't. I would imagine a guy like Demons, an undrafted player, if he's not there, it's probably injury related. Um, so which which obviously doesn't bode well for him. Um, but look, he he he's got a shot. I do think Demas has a shot to be one of the back end guys to make this roster at worst be a, a practice squad guy. I do think they like him. Um, but I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I think it, it'll be an uphill battle for him to actually crack the 53 man roster. Yeah, no doubt. I'm just uh man, I I wanted to see a turp, you know, on on this Ravens team. I think it would be It'd be pretty cool. But uh, quickly, uh, Lewis in the chat trying to spread uh, lies. Jimmy has not left the show. Um, <laughs> he is simply on a one-week vacation in some place where he really can't get quality internet. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's not gone forever before uh, Lewis trying to sp- spread some some lies in the chat. But getting back to the, to the field, I know the big um, discussion here you know, in the last couple of weeks has been, can, can the Ravens somehow find a way to add DeAndre Hopkins, yet another big name receiver to this already crowded room. But there's, you know, there's others in, in the other camp that say, look, it would be a luxury to, to bring a guy like DeAndre Hopkins in where there's more need is in fact, pass rush. Uh, and, you know, while some say, well, yeah, but Yoda's coming back. You know, Justin Houston will be back when the, when the time is right. You know, he's not coming to any OTAs, but he'll be back when it matters. And some say that JPP is kind of in the same boat. What 
when I see a guy like Daniil Hunter, all of a sudden his name pops up, the talented pass rusher out of Minnesota, and I go, man, I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's double-digit sacks just coming off the bus. I mean, this guy is a consistent pass rush winner. And then I hear Chase uh, Chase Young is also, they don't pick his option up, and he's possibly, you know, the, 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 the team is possibly fielding calls about possibly trading a guy like Chase Young. What when you look at Hopkins and versus Young and and Daniel Hunter, what do you look at as the bigger need? The the, the kind of do you hope one of those guys ends up being brought in, and do you look at any of those as realistic options for the Ravens? Well, selfishly, I don't want Chase Young to be an option. Obviously, anybody that knows me knows I I am a DC. I'm from DC. I am a Commanders fan. You know, so, you know, it, it's not something I'm proud of right now but <laughs> it, it, it 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 just is what it is i was born into it so I, I i don't believe that they are shopping chase young i know they didn't pick up his fifth year option i think that's more of them wanting chase to put together a healthy year uh to show what he showed in his rookie year um and i i believe he can still be that player i believe they still believe that he can be that player but they just can't financially uh, invest in him right now because his injuries have been a concern outside of his rookie year. Um, but, you know, the thing that about the pass rusher is just are the rate are, are because if, if we're talking about bringing in a guy like uh, Daniil Hunter or a Chase Young, these are without a doubt starters. Um, so are you taking away off the, off the field uh, uh, in certain times? Like, how are how are you going about using doing doing that? And that's kind of where I am. I, I I get the I get the feeling that the Ravens are willing to go out there with these young guys, Ajabo and Owe. They I think they believe Owe has a lot that he hasn't shown yet. And bringing in Chuck Smith, and I said this on my show yesterday, the Ravens have made a lot of moves. They've made coaching moves. They've made uh, player acquisitions. But I think when it's all said and done, their best move of the offseason could be, obviously outside of getting Lamar signed long-term, could be the addition of Chuck's, Chuck, uh, Chuck Smith. Um, he, he as He's known as a pass rush guru for a reason. He's brought here to help take Adafe Owe to the next level. And if he can do that, then all the questions that everybody has about the pass rush uh, will, will go away. He, if you heard Chuck Smith talk yesterday, he has no doubt in his mind that David Ajabo is going to be a stud. And from watching Ajabo out at OTAs, I have a hard time feeling different. I do think that Ajabo could be primed for a big year. But again, it's June. They don't have pads. Take it with a grain of salt. Um, but Owe is the key. Can't, and he's going, into a, he's going into year three. It's kind of, you know, put up or shut up time. For Dafe away right now, so I, my thing is, I, I I don't know if they'll go to one of those big time pass rusher guys like Young or Hunter, the the uh, Yodas of the world, the Frank Clarks of the world. They're more likely just mm -hmm. because they're the vets. Those are guys that can kind of be a part of a rotation. You don't have to worry about them were uh, complaining about starting or anything like that. That you know, it, it's they know different. the role. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They'll they'll know their role. So that that's kind of where I am with that. And and in terms of Hopkins, I think that ship is basically sailed at this point. 
Um, but look, I, I talked about it when we were at Ellie's, you know, I was all for adding DeAndre Hopkins. I, I know a lot of Ravens fans, they look at this wide receiver room and it's better without a doubt. It's the best wide receiver room in the Lamar Jackson era, but better doesn't necessarily mean great. You're one injury away from this wide receiver room looking eerily similar to years past. If Bateman goes down again, you, you're back to Duvernay being on the field and not that Duvernay can't play, but it's just like you're, you're going, you're, you're one to two injuries away to going right back to those familiar faces that you're trying to get away from having to lean on so much in the past game. So with D hop, he allows you to, I mean, it, it takes pressure off of everybody. And I, I, I just, I don't buy the notion of protecting feelings. I, that was just, and I get people have their reasons into why D-Hop maybe wasn't necessary for the Ravens. Some are more valid than others. But the one thing that I was hearing that I just could not get with was this notion that they were going to upset Rashad Bateman if they brought in DeAndre Hawkins. That should be the least of their concerns. Rashad Bateman is going into year three and has yet to play a full season. No doubt about it. He's, he's, loading, he's loaded with uh, potential for sure, but we haven't seen that potential on the field at on a consistent basis. The Ravens have to find a way to go from being that team that is an automatic 10-win team in the regular season and fizzles out in the postseason to being a legit Super Bowl contender. Adding a guy like D-Hop at a premium position, which is the wide receiver, it puts them, if nothing else, in that Super Bowl contender conversation. So, again, I think that ship has sailed, but I, I would have been okay with D-Hop in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of fans were kind of hoping that that would be a, a reality. But um, like you said, I think I think it's uh, pretty unlikely when you look at the visits he's been taking. It's pretty clear that it's not necessarily uh, that of the utmost importance that he's on a winner. Uh, certainly, if he if he wants if he goes back to Houston, then winning at least in the near future can't be what's most important. So, uh, and then if he wants to be a, on a winner. You know, it looks like the Chiefs and the Bills are going to have to do some serious cap maneuvering because apparently mm -hmm. those are the two most likely. But they have no cap space. So I don't know what's going to happen with Hopkins, but ultimately I think he ends up on a, a team like Houston. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he's a he's a Raven, unfortunately, for those who wanted him. Um, but I wanted to – you brought up Chuck Smith. And, man, if, if anyone who hasn't watched the most recent uh, series of press conferences uh, from over at the Castle, you need to at least watch – Chuck Smith talk about what he's you know what he's seen and what he's what he's kind of doing in the in the pass rush room and his outlook on what he thinks these guys are going to be and and man I, I just love the way he talked about pass rushing as the art form that it is and he talked about looking you know looking at all the the great pass rushers in the past they all had moves you know they didn't just win with their athleticism or their quickness or their speed or their power you know they had moves and and counter moves and I think Owe, in a lot of ways, was able to win off of just being a freak athlete, and now he's finding that uh, it's going to take a it's going to take a little bit more than that to 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 kind of transfer from being just this close every time to actually finishing the plays and getting the sack totals. Uh, but when I when I hear him talking about a Jabo, I mean this guy's typing him up like he's the next Lawrence Taylor, and I love hearing it because I don't think he's BSing us. Like he seems yeah. like. He's he's legitimately uh, excited, and and this guy's going to make a huge impact. What did you see 
albeit from, you know, a, a standpoint where there's not a lot of physicality. You know, there's not – I get it that the pads aren't fully on. But what did you see from David Ajabo being someone who's actually been, you know, fortunate enough to, to sit and watch practices? Uh, he's, he's lightning quick off the line of scrimmage. Lightning quick. You blink and he's at the quarterback. I mean, he, he's been – he's kind of been giving these tackles nightmares uh, out at OTAs right now. Granny Ronnie Stanley's not there. They're kind of plugging and playing over at that left side. Morgan Moses is there. Um, but like you said, the physicality isn't ratcheted all the way up. So they're, they're almost like cones a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. But you can see when they do try to engage in how he, he has moves. He has a variety of moves. And he's been categorized as that natural pass rusher, especially when you're talking about him compared to Owe. Uh, Ajabo is definitely more of that natural pass rusher. He is. He's stronger than he looks. And he looks strong, but he's stronger than he looks. He's faster than he looks. And, man, I, I really do uh, think that he could be primed for a breakout year. We got a glimpse of it last year in the last game of the season in Cincinnati. He gets the, uh, the sack fumble on Burrow. And I think that's the type of player that he can be. And they need the look, the Ravens need him to be that. Um, you know, this defense is expected to be just, just as good as they were last year, if not better. And this pass rush is going to be a big piece of that. Uh, they had pass rush questions in the past. And – you know, they were better last year in the pass rush department than I think a lot of people thought that they would be. Justin Houston started the year off hot. And, I mean, sure, he I think he kind of fizzled a little bit as the year went on, but he was there. You know, he, he was a big piece of that uh, pass rush department. And with him not on the team, at least right now, I think that they are kind of putting their chips into the middle of the table and kind of rocking with these young boys to see what they can do. And I think David Ajabo – at least looking at him just for what I've seen so far, I think that he's going to turn out to be everything that they thought he would be. And uh, I, I think that they'll be thankful that they were able to get him in the second round the way that they were. No doubt. That draft is turning out to be, uh, at least it, how it's looking now, could be one of the best in, in Ravens history. Um, so, yeah, shout to Eric DaCosta for getting it right after – had a had a had a couple of lean years from the draft pick department, but he certainly looked like he nailed it there. Now, one one position that I'm I'm just curious what like what is going to happen here. I, I see, you know, Pat Ricard's value in in Greg Roman's offense was, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, this guy was a a pencil in Pro Bowler as long as Greg Roman was here, but now with this offense changing. I've seen notes coming out that apparently Ben Mason had a fantastic uh, practice yesterday, and there's still Pat Ricard. So I, I wonder, in a team with a team that, you know, sometimes some are saying this is the all-in year. This is the year the Ravens have to go and do whatever moves they think you know can get them over the hump. Do you think the Ravens look at Pat Ricard as a guy that man? I I, I don't know if we really need a stellar 300-pound fullback in this offense, and we might be able to use that cap space elsewhere because I, I'm a big Pat fan. You know, I am uh, got his autograph on the football behind me. I think he's a, a unicorn and in, in kind of who he is, a 305, 310-pound guy that can move the way he can do, that can block at all three levels. I think it's valuable. I just don't know how it's valuable in Todd Munkin's offense. So what do you think the role will be going forward with Pat Ricard, and is Ben Mason have any chance of making this team? Man, that, that's the million-dollar question. I think we're all trying to figure out what Patrick Ricard's role will be in this offense. How much are they going to use him? And even the, you know, 
talking, spreading that out to the tight ends as well. They've got a great room of tight ends, and we're we're always constantly talking about the wide receivers. And I'm like, I don't know how they're going to deploy. And well, obviously Andrews is going to get on the field. I expect likely to get on the field, but even Kohler as well. I think he's a guy that they're going to have to find a way to to sprinkle him in as well. So in terms of Pat, man, I just I have a hard time envisioning them cutting him just because of what he is able to do out there. Granted, this isn't the Greg Roman offense anymore, but I do think that they're still going to use a lot of those same run looks. Um, They're still going to run the ball. This is still a John Harbaugh-led team. And Patrick Ricard is that guy that, you know, one of of the best fullbacks in the league. Uh, They like him to help on the chip blocks at times. He can be a guy that they hand the ball off to. He does a lot of different things. Ben Mason did look good yesterday. Um, it's it's just still tough. And, and look, in an ideal world, it'd be great if they could just cut Pat Ricard, save save some money there, and and rock with Ben Mason. I don't know if they're if they if they're there yet. The Ravens do have a loyalty thing uh, that they do. That is a part of the you know the Ravens way, the Ravens culture, whatever you want to call it. Loyalty is a part of that. And I do think that there is a sense of loyalty towards Patrick Ricard. Um, I mean, I, I just I, I have a hard time envisioning them cutting him. I don't know what his role will be. I don't know how often he'll be able to see the see the field because they do want to go into more spread looks. They do want to go into more up tempo this year. So that doesn't necessarily sound like a fullback would be a part of that. But Patrick Ricard does so many things for them that I, I just have a hard time feeling like Todd Munkin can't find a way to use him. Yeah, and I guess with Nick Boyle not being here, you know, I, I don't look at Kohler or Likely or Andrews, any of those three as, as a good blocking tight end. I mean, serviceable because of, you know, certainly Andrews' size, but he's not going to be your inline blocker. Maybe Pat Ricard finds a way to get on the field and they keep four tight ends and that's his new role. But, uh, man, that's an awfully deep, tight end room being four but also I got to imagine like the front office and the coaching staff the amount of pride they must have when they see Pat Ricard because I mean you talk about a guy who is who is an undrafted guy taken as a D tackle and they turn him into a a a pro bowl offensive weapon like it's got to be a sense of pride for the front office and the coaching staff and just that alone has to weigh on their decision of, of moving on from him because they got to go like, man, look what this guy turned out to be. He went from a D tackle out of Maine who likely would be scratching and clawing to be the 53rd guy or the practice squad. And instead he's the pro bowl, all pro fullback. And, you know, so, I mean, that, that alone has got to be something that's got to be tough for them to kind of get past. Yeah. I mean, look, he's, and we've seen them use him at defensive tackle before in the past. He's so versatile. You know, and Pat, one thing about him, he's, he's going to do whatever they ask him to do. And so, you know, and he does it at a high level uh, at that. So you don't, you know, you don't just get rid of good players. You know, uh, I, I understand the, the fullback position may not be super valuable, um, but Patrick Ricard, I think, falls into the category of football player. He's a good football player, and he, he's, he's a Raven. He plays the Raven way. Um, and, and like I said, I, I just have a hard time envisioning them letting him go for free. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I hope they find a way to keep him on uh, the roster. Now, the biggest, I think the the, the biggest uh, competition on the offensive side is going to come down to the who gets the start at left guard. 
Of course, everybody remembers Ben Powers, who was kind of a, a tweener to even make the team last year, turned out to be a fantastic guard and, and turned that into a massive paycheck in the offseason. So obviously, shout out to Ben Powers. Uh, you know, that's impressive to see what that guy went from and how he turned himself into a hell of a player. Well, right now, it looks like there's a pretty big opening at left guard. And some say, well, Ben Cleveland's got to take it. But I don't know. I kind of question his athleticism in, in, in how he, if he can really get that job done, even though he is big as a house. And then I know, like, Jimmy is a big fan of Daniel Falele. Now, he wants him to be our tackle of the future, but I heard he's getting some run at left guard. And and so, what do you, when you look at McCary's still in the conversation, if you want to get your best five, I'm certain he's at least in the discussion. So, who do you look at as kind of having the early lead in the clubhouse at left guard? And and who are you hoping ultimately grabs the reins and takes the job? Yeah, I, right now I think Simpson is the guy at left guard. It looks okay. like he, he's he's the guy that they're giving the first right of refusal to. Uh, he's mostly gotten the first team rep at left guard. Um, Falele de- definitely has been sprinkled in there as well. He was at left guard yesterday, like Harbs had mentioned. Um, I don't know if foul Lele at left guard is going to be a thing. I'm not saying that I'm against it. I just don't know. Uh, They asked their guards to do a lot, at least in the offense pass. Now, this is a new offense. We don't know. But I'm I'm still expecting the run looks to look very similar to some of the run looks we saw with Greg Roman. If it ain't broke, don't fence. Don't uh, don't try to fix it. So, and I know Roman had his struggles with the pass game, but the run game has always been there for him so I think you know the Ravens aren't idiots and Harb said that even after they let Roman go that they would probably try to keep a lot of his run looks that they had so if that's going to be the case uh he's going to have to Falele would have to move a lot there's going to be a lot of pulling you know and I just don't know if if that's where he's best suited at um he's as big as a house he's as strong as an ox no question about it you talk about putting him at the guard spot, if nothing else, is he's he's going to plug that hole. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's getting through him, um, but there are some very good defensive tackles in this league. The Ravens got to see quite a few of them last year. I don't know if Falele is necessarily aggressive enough uh, at the point of contact to handle some of the elite defensive tackles that are in this league. I don't know if he's uh, quick enough off the line of scrimmage um, to go up against some of these guys inside. So that's that's the only thing I worry about. I think that uh, his lack of athleticism could get exposed inside because the defensive tackles, you look at them now, it's not just about having the biggest guy on your team be play defensive tackle anymore. These guys are big, they're athletic, they're quick, they're fast. And I don't know if that's necessarily a great combination for him. But the good thing is at left guard, you're next to – uh, Linderbaum, and you're next to Ronnie Stanley. So you feel confident with whoever you put over there because they've got some help on on both sides. No doubt. Yeah, and I remember when Simpson was coming out. It's funny. That was like right around the time we started doing 410 Sports Talk. And I remember looking at him coming out of the draft out of Clemson, if I remember right, and I was super high on him. It's just funny how he ends up back here in Baltimore just a couple years later. Still a young man and still has plenty mm-hmm. of career ahead of him. So let's hope that he turns into uh, you know what what everyone was hoping when he came out of Clemson. Now, I got to ask you about uh, what's going on with J.K. Because I'm so confused here, Cordell. I mean, 
look, we, we got our worries about uh, Gus Edwards. He's He's been seen on the sidelines, uh, from what I understand, uh, but hasn't participated yet in team drills. So I guess we can assume that's, that he had some sort of a procedure done and, and he's still working his way back. But we've yet to see J.K. Dobbins at all. You know, this is a big year for him. This is his contract year. This is a year where, you know, the, the Ravens and, and other teams have to decide, you know, what he's going to be worth moving forward. And in a league that devalues the running back position, uh, and certainly most teams uh, seem to hesitate to pay a running back when they think they could just draft a younger guy who's cheaper. And oftentimes the running back position, you might have your best production in their rookie year. You know, so... What do you when 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 J.K. Dobbins is tweeting out? It, it looks like he's kind of unsure if he's going to come back. Like, what do you kind of make of the whole J.K. Dobbins situation that's going on? And do you see any chance, even if he plays lights out, that the Ravens extend him and give him a contract for moving forward? Well, uh, well, first on what the the tweets from Dobbins, um, I, what the thing, what he said is honestly the truth. And Harbaugh said that the other day. I mean, none of us know what what's to come in the future. I think it's more likely that Dobbins isn't in Baltimore just because the a the position that he plays is ultimately one of the more devalued positions in the NFL, which is crazy because it's also one of the more used positions in the NFL. Um, but also, you got look. You look at J.K. Dobbins, man. His career to this point has been so weird. It's, that's the only word I can come up with to describe J.K. Dobbins' career because he was so good at Ohio State, and when the Ravens drafted him, it was looked at as one of the biggest steals in the draft. I mean, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield with Lamar Jackson, that looks like arguably the best backfield in the league potentially. And I think the Ravens, held on to Mark Ingram a little longer than they should have uh, before handing the keys off to J.K. Dobbins his rookie year. Obviously, his second year, uh, he gets hurt in the preseason game against Washington, and in year three, he's working his way back, still isn't right. Then when he does come back off the, after the scope, he's phenomenal and still not getting the usage that he should get. Um, so – I just say I think everybody knows that J.K. Dobbins is a really good player. I think everybody believes that Dobbins is a stud. I mean, this is a guy that for his career averages six yards a pop. It's crazy. But yet he hasn't been able to get more than 17 carries in a game in a run-first offense at that. So to go to your question about does can do the Ravens offer him a deal at some point, I think the Ravens offer him a deal. Now, is it a deal that he likes? Probably not. Um, and how much does Dobbins really want to be in Baltimore? I, I see his tweets and I see him talking about how, you know, he he's wants Baltimore to stay in through and through. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he hasn't been, I mean, when's the last time JK Dobbins has been happy to be honest with you. He was upset about the injury. He was upset in the fact that he was even playing in the preseason game. He's complained about his usage. And I think rightfully so he has mm -hmm. been underutilized. Um, but what, why would J.K. Dobbins want to stay in Baltimore, to be honest with you? What, what would make him stay? They're not going to give him the money he's looking for. He already knows that. And they have not used him the way that he wants to be used. So I think, you know, I think both sides are going to kind of go their separate ways when it's all said and done. I do think J.K. is going to have a phenomenal year this year because 
obviously in professional sports, we see no matter what sport it is, we see how these athletes are in a contract year. They're great. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I expect Dobbins to be that, especially if he can be healthy. I mean, if he can put it all together, I, I think Dobbins will be a stud, but I have a hard time envisioning his future remaining in Baltimore. Yeah, it's tough. I, I think there's, the, the problem is, is like, what would his market even be elsewhere? He, you know, unless, unless he goes absolutely bonkers, but even then, it's just it's just tough to get a big, big payday when you're a running back when uh, most people think they can just kind of replace you like the Ravens. I mean, most people are saying that uh, that uh, is it uh, Mitchell, the the young undrafted running back, mm-hmm. saying could be the guy next year um, with Gus and and uh, J.K. maybe on their way out. It, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that they go from having two number ones, in my opinion, to to, to likely not having either of them next season. But let's hope that they can keep one, if not both, uh, at least me, because I'm a big fan of both of them. I mean, j- the story of Gus Edwards is just incredible, yeah. you know, where he came and where he's ended up and, you know, the success he's had since he's gotten here, I think has been uh, pretty cool and pretty fun to watch. But um, but I, I can't get through this without asking you about Lamar's day, because what I've been hearing is that he had just a fantastic day after the offense in general kind of struggling uh, before that and the defense winning a lot of the battles, which I guess is to be expected in the early parts of training camp. But what did you see from Lamar Jackson and, and kind of how, how, how did he look out there in this new offense? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think Lamar has gotten progressively better. Um, it has been a struggle for the offense as a whole uh, through these three practices of OTAs. I think that they're still trying to figure out this offense. They're missing a lot of key players um, on, on the offensive side of the ball. The defense is too as well so I don't I'm not giving the offense a pass at all but this is just that time of year where it's trial and error and I'm seeing Lamar I've seen Lamar throw some passes especially to the guys that he's throwing to in certain situations that I don't think he would try to make in a game so I think this is just the time of year he's trying stuff out but yeah yesterday was was Lamar's best day I think it was the offense's best day through the three practices of OTAs Um, I think he's starting to get more comfortable he's uh, doing more at the line of scrimmage and Harbaugh talked about that when we spoke to him yesterday, it did look a lot smoother in terms of, and not just Lamar, all the quarterbacks, it looked a lot smoother with them talking at the line of scrimmage, making those adjustments. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's coming along. Um, it's really tough to gauge what Lamar, and I hear people were talking about, you know, Lamar struggles on deep passes in the practices and there were struggles, no doubt about it. Uh, but I would just, just caution people to not overreact because the guys that he, that we expect him to be throwing the ball deep to aren't out there right now. Mm -hmm. Rashad Bateman going for a deep ball is totally different from Tylen Wallace going for a deep ball or James Prochet going for a deep ball. So, you know, again, take all these reports that you're seeing with a grain of salt, but I do think Lamar and the offense as a whole has gotten progressively better through the course of OTAs. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Uh, some people say hear that Cordell and say, "Well, does that mean that there's really not a whole big deal that Lamar's here at all?" And then there's others saying, "Man, I wish those other guys were here with Lamar so we get started early." So it's kind of interesting, two you know, two different sides of the aisle there. Some yeah. buy into OTAs and how much they help during the regular season, and some are go, "Man, we ain't gonna be looking back at these OTAs if they're struggling in week three and right. go, Odell should have been there." Yeah, and, and it's a combination of both because I'm on both sides. You know, I'm 
I'm that guy that I'm not getting on anybody that doesn't show up to a voluntary workout. Because yeah. like you just said, by the time the season starts, we're not going to remember who was there and who wasn't in June, who was there and who wasn't in May. It's irrelevant at the time. It's a talking point now because there's nothing else going on football, mm-hmm. football-wise. Um, so we're taking attendance on everybody, and that's the main talking point. But sure, there is something to gain from being there. It's a new offense, you know, it's new terminology. Uh, and there, you know, Todd Munkin coaches incredibly different from the way Greg Roman coaches. So just getting used to your new offensive coordinator and the way he talks and the way he goes about coaching it, the way he wants things done. Um, I, I think there is something to be said for showing up this time of year, but Again, I'm not going to put the full court press on anybody that decides that they want to kind of train on their own right now. As long as guys are ready and prepared to go when they do show up, that's all I care about. But when you look at the dis, the, the disconnect between these players and the Ravens' uh, strength and conditioning program, I, I'm not surprised when guys don't show up. I'm not surprised that J.K. Dobbins isn't there. J.K. Dobbins, I think, would borderline be a fool to show up right now and let those guys kind of handle him and his strength and conditioning program right now in the most pivotal year of his career right now. He's already dealt with injuries. And granted, I'm not saying that these injuries have all been the strength and conditioning program's fault, um, but there's a clear disconnect there. They got an F minus in that department from the NFLPA for a reason. So um, I have no problem with guys working out on their own again, as long as they're ready and prepared when they get there. That's all I care about. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I can't wait for that moment. Now we got a, uh, coming up here, we got a, a bit of a, a, a dry period where we're not going to have anything to talk about. Let's just hope we don't see anything on the news or anything crazy with any Ravens yeah. players. Um, but I got to, I, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, let you out of here without talking a, a couple O's questions here. So um, the Orioles, of course, playing right now. They're down 4 nothing mm-hmm. right now against the Brewers in the bottom of the fifth um, as they struggle to kind of get the offense going against the former Cy Young winner, Burns. But uh, they had a winnable game, kind of slipped through their grasp last night as uh, Yannier Cano gave up, you know, the eighth inning run. And then ultimately uh, they gave up the, the, the run in the tenth after uh, just another stellar ninth inning. Uh, coming out of the mountain, uh, Bautista, yeah. who just mowed down one guy after the next with his 102, 103-mile-an-hour fastball. But the, the the question I have for you is, I mean, the team is 37, what are they, 37 and 23. They're still second in the AL East behind just the ridiculous Tampa Bay Rays and what they've done to start this season. But it's pretty clear that we're far enough into the season to – to uh to call the I, I like the change by the way DK yeah, that's which cool. the color scheme appreciate <laughs> it um uh but it's it's pretty clear that this team isn't just a fluke isn't just a you know a flash in the pan this is a team who's mm-hmm. who's done it against the best and you know and showed you know why they're good against the worst so when you kind of balance like this team looks like it might be ready to make some noise now how much do you balance the aggressive like I want the team to be aggressive. I want them to try and win. But, man, they got all these fantastic prospects that, you know, some fans are going, trade this guy, trade that guy. You know, I know that uh, – uh, who is it? Marcus Stroman's been on an absolute tear in Chicago. The Otani rumors are still swirling. 
Uh, and some people want the, the, the Orioles to add, add an additional power bat from the, specifically from the left side. How do you kind of weigh on the fact that I don't want to, I don't want to give up on my future by attacking the now, but I also don't want to let like this, you know, if we have something good here and we're only one guy away, I, like, like how do you balance that going for it now, but not giving up on your future? No doubt about it, man. And that's, that's the big thing. Uh, and shout out to my man Don. Appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, that's the that's the big thing. You know, that's why Mike Elias is is paid the big bucks. You know, to to make those tough decisions um, because you don't want to, you know, do you, you don't want to just throw. Not, I don't want to say throw away because you're getting something back, but you you don't want to forfeit the opportunity to see what some of your young guys in the system can do at this level. But I always say, man, you know, you build up the best farm system in baseball to trade it and not to trade all of them, obviously, but that's your, those are your assets. That's assets in baseball prospects. The more, the, the better your prospects, the, the really the better your major league team is going to be because it's either those prospects coming up and they turn it out to be good players or you're trading those guys for sure things in the league. Um, so the, the Orioles are in a good spot right now, a stark difference from where they were a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I think that they are going to at some point hit that crossroad to where they may have to part ways with some of these guys like a Kyle Stowers that we, you know, could turn out to be a good player, but there's just, they're struggling to get him on the field. They called him up twice this year and he hasn't been able to consistently get out there. And, even when he has been out there, it's been a struggle for him. But I think that a little bit of that comes from uh, him not being able to get consistent at best. And everybody talks about guys like Colton Kowser coming up. And look, I'm ready to see Colton Kowser as well. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to call Colton Kowser up just to sit on the bench. They've got to make sure that if he does come up, that there's going to be a spot for him to, if not play every day, close to it. It can't be a one, one to two appearances a week. That's not a good way for these young guys to get in rhythm. And I think that um, you, you ruin their confidence a little bit when, when, when you're indecisive on how you're going to use them. So I am curious to see what the Orioles decide to do as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Obviously there are needs on this team uh, starting with the pitching, um, but uh, who they decide to give away will be the key thing because uh, at some point, they have to figure out what they're going to do with some of these guys that have been in the system for a while now. Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of a log jam at certain positions. Uh, shout out to Don C. Yes, yes, I will give it to Katie. Yep, yep. Katie gets <laughs> Katie gets to decide what happens with all the money in this household. So yeah, shout out to Don C. and Katie for keeping me straight as always. Uh, now, because I'm like you, I'm like man. I, what I don't want to see is them make a trade, give up on a prospect to get, even if it is ends up being a quality, you know, a quality return, and then see that prospect go on to stardom elsewhere. Because, yeah. you know, we've already seen it to some degree with some guys. I look at Kevin Gausman. I think he had, mm-hmm. what, 14 strikeouts a couple nights ago, or maybe even last night. I mean, this, this, every time I see him, I feel like beating my head against the wall because I, I, I mean, the gas man, I was hype on. And then he, you know, all of a sudden peters out and then finds success elsewhere. And then also, um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name. I can see his face. The pit, the big pitching prospect that left a couple years ago. Oh my goodness. I'm blanking on him. But 
he ends up leaving after being like the number one prospect uh, in baseball. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Yeah, I'm trying see. to Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy. Oh, Dylan Bundy out yeah. in uh, L.A. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that guy was the number one prospect. I think uh, in 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 the system. I mean, in any system. Uh, and then he ends up not kind of flaming out. So I got to ask you about Grayson because, man, I'm I'm starting to get a little worried about Grayson Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and and I need you to to hopefully help me. Oh, Jake Arrieta, <laughs> channel dirt. Yes. Jake Arrietta went yeah, on to have the one. greatest another half one. a season in history of baseball and <laughs> won the damn Cy Young after yeah. we wouldn't let him throw his cutter here. But oh my goodness, it's a whole thing. So I, I'm a little, I'm a little um I, I'm like damaged goods when it comes to pitching prospects. And now I see Grayson. He comes up, you know, struggles in a big, big way. I mean, really mm-hmm. struggles. And then I even see his last stop uh, you know, in in triple A and Again, he's having issues controlling the ball. I mean, he can't find the strike zone, certainly not with his off-speed pitches. And, you know, pro bats are just sitting on his fastball knowing he can't throw any of his junk for strikes. And these guys are just too damn good to th- to, to consistently get by on just a fastball as a starter. So, man, I'm starting to get worried about Grayson. So, please, I mean, tell me I'm crazy, Cordell, and tell me he's going to end up being okay. So... I, like you, have been a little worried about Grayson for a while now, but what's given me uh, comfort in this situation is the fact that I have talked to people who are much smarter than I am when it comes to baseball, and they are still not hitting the panic button on Grayson. So they're kind of talking me down on the ledge, which is giving me uh, the ammunition to do the same. For you, look, this this guy, I think at his best can still be a stud. And even though he was sporadic with his time up here with the Orioles, we did get to see some glimpses of good Grayson, um, just not consistently. And that's the thing that he's got to find. Can he get back? Can he get to being that consistently dominant pitcher? I don't know. And uh, in order for him to do that, like you said, you're going to have to throw your all speed stuff for strikes and and get some swing and miss. And he didn't get a lot of swing and miss while he was here, especially on that changeup, which has been so good for him. And, uh, you know, in, in, in the minor leagues, he struggled with that changeup at the major league level. And he started to lean too much on that fastball. And like, you know, man, these major league hitters, mm-hmm. that, that's what they're waiting for. That's what that's waiting for, especially when it's grabbing as much of the plate as Grayson's uh, fastball was. So, I'm hopeful that we'll see him again. We spoke to Mike Elias a week or so ago, and, you know, he was hopeful uh, when I asked him about Grayson that we would see him again around and that he's he's thinking that Grayson will be a pivotal part of this rotation by the time we get to the playoff push. Hopefully that's the case, but he's got to get back to, you know, his roots, get back to what's gotten him here um, uh, uh, because right now he just seems – he, he just seems like even he doesn't know what type of player he is. He doesn't seem like the confident pitcher that we saw uh, kind of working his way up through the ranks right now. And confidence is everything in this game. And once he gets that back, I, I think we'll start to see the Grayson uh, that, that we expected to see. And him not working out right now is a major setback for the Orioles because you, you combine that with John Means now having the setback uh, as well. Um, Cole Irvin getting sent down early, you know, so he was a veteran guy that was brought in to be a part of this rotation. He's not even here right now. Uh, I mean, Bradish hasn't necessarily been great this year. So 
I mean, starting pitching is still the number one need on this Orioles team right now. Yeah, because as good as this bullpen's been, I mean, you know, Cordell, if you keep asking too much of them, eventually that that strength, you know, could turn into a weakness. Uh, and I just hate to say, I think Baker kind of fell in that that category early on, mm-hmm. where they just overused the heck out of him, and he yep. went from you know being phenomenal to really struggling. We saw the dip in his his miles per hour on his fastball, and it's like you know you can't just keep running these arms out here in the bullpen and expect the performance to not dip. Um, so I I really hope that we don't see that happen with Cano or with Bautista. Uh, and that maybe when some of these arms that were supposed to be on their way up, if they can finally get up here, like Tate, and if Givens can get his get his stuff together, uh, oh, man, it's 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 kind of kind of crazy. But well, I tell you, one thing that's been an absolute blessing for the O's. I mean, when 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 uh, Mullins went down, I think there was a lot of fans. I mean, I know a lot of fans were like, "Oh, here we go. This is the start, and it's going to be Mullins, and it's going to be that." And we're gonna fall apart. It was all woe is me. The, the the you know the the team the season's over uh, when they thought it was gonna be a couple months, and then they go out and get Hicks, who was just conveniently released by the the Yankees, mm-hmm. and this guy has been phenomenal. I mean, yesterday he has the two run shot, but really he should have had two more hits if they weren't fantastic yeah. defensive plays, which would have broke that game open. But credit to the Brewers for making two fantastic plays i mean since he's been here he's hitting 400 obviously he fills in the defensive position in in center field you know fantastic maybe not to quite to the level of cedric mullins the way he was playing but certainly is not a a slouch in this in center field i mean how much of a godsend has a guy like aaron hicks been since he's been here he's been great he's been great and i don't think anybody had high expectations for aaron hicks when he got here and i think and I don't necessarily believe anybody has high expectations for him right now. We're all just kind of riding this wave uh, to see, you know, how long this lasts, how long this goes. But, you know, I, I think Aaron Hicks right now is perfect for what, you know, for what they need. They needed somebody to step in. And, look, we could talk about the offense, but Cedric Mullins and what he does in the field for the Orioles is, you know, incredible. It's incredible. His range, his glove. Uh, it, it's something that is hard to replicate. And Hicks, albeit offensively the last few years, he hasn't been great, but he has been good defensively. That's something that hasn't necessarily changed uh, for him. So um, I, I think that um, as long as he can continue to do what he's doing at the plate, it's great. And I think it says something for the Orioles to be able to continue to win games without Cedric Mullins, who I think is – Right now, still, I know Adley is Adley, but, you know, Mullins, for me, is the guy. He, you know, he's still the man on this team. And for them to continue to kind of keep pace without him so far lets you know how deep this team is, especially when they're at their best. They may, I understand they're, they're not hitting tonight. It's, it's been a bad night for them out in Milwaukee. Um, but I think that this Orioles team, they have guys on this team all throughout the lineup that on any given night, they can show up. And I mean, we just saw Josh Lester the other day come through with the big hit, getting his first uh, hit in, in, in major league play. And you just never know who the guy is going to be for the Orioles on any given night. That's what I like the most about this team. You look at Austin Hayes, who's still batting over 300 uh, uh, right now in the season. And, you know, he's a guy coming into the year. Nobody expected that. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about Adley. We talk about Mullins. We can talk about Santander. But How about Ryan Ahern? Ryan O'Hearn, Adam Frazier, 
you know, who was yeah. an underrated signing in the offseason. I mean, they have guys that have been able to kind of step up uh, all year to this point. Yeah, it's nice having that uh, deep farm system that you can just go grab a quality player, mm -hmm. bring them up. And to this point, they've been playing. I don't think anyone could have predicted what Ryan O'Hearn has done since he's been yeah. up. I mean, the power he's brought uh, has been phenomenal. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, right now, you know, I, I look at this team, and I don't care what anyone says. They're ready to compete. I get that they're, you know, their their rotation isn't where you'd think it would be. But look around the, the major leagues, and you look at, I mean, it, it's hard out there to have oh, yeah. a quality rotation top to bottom. I mean, you look at the Rangers, they just lose DeGrom. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what's to say that in two months that there's not more attrition? You know, this is, this is a game where, sure, the injury rate isn't like it is in the pro or in the NFL. But there, there's no, there's no saying, you know, no telling that in two months that the Raven or the Orioles pitching staff isn't quite as far behind those top teams. Once we, you know, once we kind of get closer to to uh, playoff time. But I wanted to quickly get in. We got a couple uh, super chats here. Uh, Azana says closet take that likely is our best receiving tight end. Ooh. Uh, this might be a hot take. This is like the Kadri. They're going to trade <laughs> Andrews and make yeah. their number one guy. Uh, what, what have you seen from Likely? Do, do you think Likely is uh, going to make that sophomore step, or is he going to have the sophomore slump? Well, I, he was one of those guys that showed out yesterday uh, at the OTA practice. I, I think the world of Isaiah Likely. I honestly do. I, I think Isaiah Likely is incredible. Um, I think looking back at last year, one of their biggest regrets should be the fact that they didn't get Isaiah Likely more involved, especially once the receiver started going down. I, I understand the uh, the games that Likely had once um, Andrews wasn't on the field, but I feel like Likely is so versatile that there was enough out enough space out there and enough passes to go around for he and Andrews to eat because who else was who else was doing anything in the receiving game right. for the Ravens last year? Let's be honest. I mean, they needed somebody to step up. And Isaiah likely has been there for them. Now, look, he struggled with his consistency a little bit last year. He dropped some passes that were uncharacteristic for him. But, look, I'm expecting Isaiah likely to take a huge leap this year. I'm excited to see how Todd Munkin uses him um, because he's a guy that I think can be used, obviously, on the line of scrimmage in the natural tight end spot. He can go in the slot. I've seen him out wide. He can play anywhere. So um, I'm curious to see how they use him this year because – the, the good thing about the, the Ravens this year and the weapons that they have in the passing game, it's going to be tough to double-team anybody. It's going to be tough to double-team Mark Andrews. Any of these dudes, I believe, can win in one-on-one -on -one coverage. It's the first time I've felt that way about a Ravens receiving core in the Lamar Jackson era. So uh, it's going to be uh, – uh, and, and if, if the spacing thing turns out to be true, mm. we saw likely show how good of a yak receiver he can be he is really good after the catch, man. So I think the world of Isaiah Likely, I don't know if he's – I'm not ready to say he's the best tight end on the field, on the team. Mark Andrews is still there. I can't disrespect Mandrews, man. He he is just so good. Um, I love everything about Mark Andrews' game, to be honest with you. But I think Isaiah Likely is really uh, turning into a kind of a duplicate version of Mark Andrews. Both of those guys can can run any route you ask them to run. And, and I think both guys could be heavily relied on in the passing game. Yeah, I can't wait to see 
what likely he's going to do in the open field with the space that we're hoping to see in Todd Munkin's offense. Todd Heat, shout out to Todd, says, yeah. I think switching from the best run team in the NFL worked better than the old school Ravens defense has done well for years. If so, why? So do you have concern? I, I think you're pretty much on the camp of, this ain't going to be a team that's just abandoning the run game just because Greg Roman left. Like, what do, what do you think the 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 balance will be when it comes to run pass in this new Munkin scheme? Yeah, I think I, I think that look, you don't have to be a run first team to be the best running team in the league. Efficiency is the number one thing, and the Ravens can run the ball. That they can run the ball in their sleep. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the league when they're healthy, one of the more athletic offensive lines in the league at that. They've got Lamar Jackson, who I believe is the best mobile quarterback in the NFL. Um, And you've got J.K. Dobbins. You've got Gus Edwards. Those are two guys who are averaging close to six yards a pop for their career. So they can run the ball without necessarily having to be the team that solely relies on the run game. And I think – with their with their pass game expecting to take such a huge jump, that could help the run game because what do you stop? That's violence. Like when we talked to Todd Munkin on his introductory press conference, he, he talked about what balance truly means. And balance for him means being able to do both things well. It's not necessarily going out there and saying, okay, I'm going to run the ball 50% of the time and then pass the ball the other 50%. It's being able to do both things when you have to be able to do them. And I think for so long, it's been a travesty that the Ravens haven't been one of the best play action teams in the league, considering how run heavy they've been, especially back to the back to the defense play action uh, type of action. So um, I say all that to say that I, I do think that they that this look, I'd rather have the best passing offense in the league than the best running offense in the league. Me personally, in today's game, you look at the teams that are winning it all the Chiefs. Show me where the Chiefs rank in the Russian department every year. It's, it's, I promise you it's not in the top 10. It might not even be top 15, to be honest with you. You just have, but yet they can run the ball enough to make you respect it. That's what it's really about. So I, I think that, again, when you have Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards in your backfield, every defense is going to have to respect the run game. The run game isn't going to go anywhere. John Harbaugh loves the run loves to run the football that's not going to change um but I, I do think that they are going to be a more balanced team in the fact that they'll be able to do both things equally well yeah I think a lot of Ravens fans are kind of scared that they're going to turn into the Bills where they can't run the ball and they don't even seem like they want to run the ball even when yeah. you know all signs are pointing to you need to run the ball in this situation to kind of seal out a win. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think Ravens fans are going to have to worry about the pendulum swinging quite from one end all the way to the other. I think hopefully they'll find themselves somewhere in the middle. Uh, and, and, you know, Todd will, Todd will have this offense, you know, hitting on all cylinders. But let's be honest, it, it, it's it, it, how much of it do you worry that, like, the grass isn't greener? Because although I think it was definitely time for a change, we have to remember that Roman did get this offense to heights it's never seen in the history of the franchise. No doubt about it. And Greg Roman deserves a ton of respect for what he did uh, when they were good. But the thing with Greg Roman, you can look at all his stops, man, and it's great when he's first when he first gets there and it's mm-hmm. new 
And man, that trajectory just, I mean, it free falls every year after that. And it did the same thing in Baltimore. And I honestly believe Lamar outgrew uh, the system that Roman mm-hmm. had them running. I think Lamar, I think the system that Roman came with was perfect for the time that he showed up. But Roman didn't evolve with his players. And I think ultimately, I think he lost the locker room. You hear J.K. Dobbins uh, kind of speaking his mind after that playoff game. You hear Rashad Bateman going on Twitter in the offseason. You see some of the things Lamar has said uh, even before Roman left. And you see Mark Andrews. I I think that, you know, he was kind of stubborn and stuck in his ways and didn't evolve with the players on the team. So Todd Munkin seems to be a more player-friendly coach. Um, everything he does is – I mean, look, he's given Lamar more control in, on, of the offense. And uh, when we talked to him at his introductory press conference, you know, a lot of the things that he said is what do the players see? What do the players want to run? Um, so I, I think that, you know, when, when, the, when the players are playing for a guy like Todd Munkin who's so passionate – about football and uh, and and actually has given them a voice in the game plan. I think it gives them it even more incentive to go out there and perform. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I, I, it's like I'm I'm tempering my excitement, but it's just hard to not think that this offense and, and team in general, you know, has it's a pretty high uh, ceiling. I guess I would say. I, I think there's no doubt this team's going to be competing um, as long as the injury bug stays out of Baltimore. Well. That's all I have for uh, tonight. I appreciate you, I mean, tenfold here, Cordell. You are the man. I mean, you saved me from having to do this all by myself, which, <laughs> look, I know you do a show almost every evening all by yourself, but not all yeah. of us are quite as talented as, uh, as you, Cordell. So thank you yeah. so much for spending all this time. I know you're itching to get to this Tide uh, Miami Heat-Denver Nuggets game. Uh, that, that, yeah, right now it's up for grabs, so I'll let it you is run and go and go catch that thank you again for coming out appreciate you so much um and yeah i hope you have a good evening we'll talk soon yes sir man appreciate you having me anytime man it was great to talk to you yes sir thank you so much and guys catch cordell 1057 the fan uh six to nine or seven to nine shake it up sports does a fantastic jobs uh job over there so thanks again cordell i hope you have a good evening you too bro all right thanks Cool. All right. Well, Cordell, I mean, obviously, uh, no one is more in touch with both the Ravens and the Orioles than Cordell Woodland. So certainly appreciate him. So I didn't have to uh, sit here and have you guys uh, listen to me, uh, you know, just try and get through a show without my 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 faithful co-host, James Haskell, who will be back after this short vacation uh, week. And he'll be back next week to continue to break down the Orioles. And, I mean, the Ravens and eventually. I'm going to twist his ankle or twist his arm enough to where I'm going to get him to start focusing uh, and paying more attention to to, to ROs because, uh, yeah, I'm here. I know DK's excited. I think he's got the hat on right now, ready to go. Um, So we just got to get Jimbo Slimbo on board with the O's. Uh, But that's it for us tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Cordell. Appreciate you in the background, DK. You are the man as always. Lewis. Quit, quit trying to spread these nasty rumors, this blasphemy. There is nothing between me and Jimbo but friendship. Okay? And he will be back next week, uh, and I'll talk to you all then. See you.